0: Sophia podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Theosophia and consider donating to this Labor of Love project for women's empowerment. This episode features Mary Gray Reeves. Mary is the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of El Camino Real. And not only is Mary my Bishop, but I'm lucky enough to call her a friend. Our conversation stretches from grace to burning man Leadership to the Emerging Church. And I can't wait to share Bishop Mary's wisdom and goodness with all of you. So here we go. Hi, Bishop Mary.
1: <laughs> Hi, Curator Council. <Kelsey. laughs> nice to be with you. Nice
0: to be with you. Um, so we are sitting in Bishop Mary's home. Um, in Monterey, California, with a candle lit and a cup of coffee for each of us. And it is a pleasure and a privilege to get to be with you this morning. And uh, last night I was sitting with a couple young women who are in their 20s and early 30s who look up to you in a number of ways. And we were talking about how I I was going to have a chance to get to ask you a few questions for our podcast. And they wanted to know... Um, who is someone that's impacted your life because you have impacted so many young women's lives. And so they want to know who's who have been your influencers throughout your life and formation.
1: Oh, there's been a lot. And I to narrow it down to just a handful is not realistic. Um, but I, I've been uh, pondering Mary Oliver lately because she passed away, and I listened to an interview with Krista Tippett, because some, some, she is a woman who is inspiring, and somebody that we've been talking about lately. Mm. And um, in the interview, I just, I had such a um, strong sense of Mary Oliver's uh, capacity to be fully herself, and um, as I look back in time, and I think about women who've caught my attention, they are women who have had the courage to be themselves, and um, and and to find an artful way to be themselves, and that has inspired me in terms of their leadership. I, I was thinking of one woman, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember her first name. It's been so long ago, but she was um, she was my liaison in the Commission on Ministry in the Diocese of Los Angeles, and um, she passed away. In fact, while I was in seminary, but I. I was not. uh, I was in my twenties and not very self-assured. And I can remember watching her and just thinking to myself, "How did you get that way?" You know, and was encouraged um, not to become her, to be afraid of her, but to be curious about her. So I think the people that have inspired me have uh, are the ones that have drawn me into a deeper curiosity about the fullness of myself and as a. One who is capable of leading my life in some kind of artful way, um, and in partnership with others, because the uh, community is so essential. Um, and I, I have to say, you know, I didn't set out to become a, a mentor for young women, but um, I could see the need, and I can remember thinking I would have loved a few women. Clergy to pick up the phone and call me on a given day and see how it was going. I had really great male mentors because I was ordained in the young 90, in the nineties, and um, that's who who was there in my little circle, you know. And um, I thought, wouldn't it be a gift to expand the circle and help women to mentor one another because uh, we do that very naturally, and um, and as I mentor, I get stronger in myself, and so to to share something with someone else that helps them strengthen and at the same time strengthen me, well, it sounds, it's just so incredibly economical, mm. you know, in terms of relational leadership. So, um, and that, you know, women have incredible skills that are needed in every aspect of life. And as we know for too long, those have been set aside or uh, partitioned or segmented off to certain regions of society and we 're in a spot now, which is a great opportunity to make shifts so um, to to take up our leadership in artful ways and not angry ways, uh, and to just keep developing ourselves as leaders is something I think we can offer mm. out of the um, out of the community of women mm.
0: as we share and inspire one another mm. yeah. beautiful so speaking of the community of women. Um, You've been uh, a founder of a group of women and mentoring called Beautiful Authority in the Episcopal Church. So, will you tell tell us a little bit about Beautiful Authority and and some of the insights that you've you've gleaned from from those experiences? Sure. Yeah, I tend to call myself a
1: catalyst because you know Beautiful Authority emerged out of um, out of an awareness and God was placing uh, a few people to have the awareness together. And um, it started because I went to a conference um, called Imagine West, and there had been one on the East Coast right after Catherine Jeffords Shorey was elected presiding bishop. And um, i have been invited to preach uh, the Even Song. And, and when I got there, I realized it was really a reunion of the first, of the women who had done the very hard work of... Um, fighting literally for our right to be ordained in the church and who went first and they had tremendous camaraderie Mm. and you know clearly a beautiful love and affection and and a bond from their their um, time in that work and I um, that was where I thought I I I don't have that because I came later you know and then I thought well if that's true for me it might be true for especially for really younger women in our church they get isolated on their own in a diocese there's one or two in their 30s. It's very tough. So, And then I just started hearing um, from my... I had a couple of young women clergy mm-hmm. in our diocese, and literally the next week they came to me and said things like, how do I be feminine at the altar? How do I be pregnant at the altar? What do I wear? Um, and I just thought, these questions are exactly the same questions that women have been asking for years, it's like this has not shifted, you know. Um, and so that's how beautiful authority was born because those young women expressed that. Um, I I had a rector who's I said, hey, why don't we make do this conference? And then I invited um, that was Karen Siegfried at that time she was rector of St Jude's and then Carol Wade who was at the at the National Cathedral, and they both said sure. So then these other two young women clergy that's we that became the first team right. And those first, the first group of women were under thirty-five, and were specifically targeted at that age group because I thought these are the ones we're going to lose these because the rate of um, young seminarians anyway, that or young clergy that leave seminary they get discouraged and they leave. So I mean, it's a massive, just from a practical side and economical side, it is wasteful, you know, not to nurture these folks in the way they need to be nurtured. So, um, so beautiful authority began. Because there was a need, and um, the only mandate when we leave a gathering is to say, "Go mentor down, you know, find someone to walk alongside and and I hear back from women uh, all the time about their relationships that happen at beautiful authority um, have you know they're just so transforming and nurturing so um, the name came about people often ask how did where'd the name come from and um the name came because we felt like what we were really trying to encourage was um, how do we not try to mimic um, the the quote unquote male model of authority, and how do we live into our own authentic um, leadership style and authority, mm-hmm. and name it beautiful instead of less than or second or any of the ways that we often can think about ourselves and other people will think about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, about us. And so that was why it was about naming something as good and um, godly and uh, that, also, that has power. And also taking the stewardship of that seriously, um, that that's important to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanna say too that I, Beautiful Authority is a network. So I haven't led all the conferences. I, don't, I hand off the, um, the suggested um, schedule. And topics, and most people follow it because it's very simple, it's easy to replicate. But I don't actually know how many conferences there have been because they've, they happen without my knowing. So there's a new leadership team now because it does need to be housed in a diocese um, for just practical reasons. Um, so Susan Goff in Virginia and um, Augusta Anderson in Western North Carolina are the, the leaders now of that just to coordinate it really. But again, it's a network. There's nothing authorized about it (laughs) which makes it more beautiful i think so
0: um that's wonderful and and what i hear in that also is is a harnessing and a reclaiming of of power and and you as bishop in an institutional hierarchical church probably have spent a lot of time um, thinking about power dynamics and how power um, can be stewarded in a way that's beautiful and it's life-giving and liberating and loving, um, which is part of the Jesus movement, right? Yeah. So so with beautiful authority in mind and as a woman yourself, um, what is the intersection of, of women and power? Um, and, and I know that you and I have talked a lot about Miriam recently Mm -hmm. so and sort of maybe how Miriam might tie in as a biblical image to what that might look like yeah Yeah.
1: I think um, just to preface uh, what I'll say but I I think it's important not to say this is female authority and this is male authority I think that we're in we're in an incredible time where everybody's thinking about their leadership style um, and because they have to like there are some real risks in doing things in unconscious ways now the me too movement is bringing that up where people said like well i didn't have any idea that was not okay it's like well it's not okay so mm-hmm. um so those those that's a great opening you know there's a crevice there that that we have an opportunity to work with um so to think about leadership and authority for me the word repertoire has always been really important so um, as a musician has a repertoire, right? They have a, a, a base of materials that they, they can play. They work on uh, exercises that they do. So it's a very full picture. Um, so I consider I have a repertoire of leadership styles and skills. I have uh, one or two that I prefer to lead with, and I'm going to look for systems in which I can exercise that most often. Um, on the other hand, like I'm not a very... Um, authoritarian leader but once in a while as a bishop I have to pull that out you know and use it so and so to be skilled in it even if it's not my preference um, is important I think it's important for every person to know uh, what is the repertoire what are the styles I like the best where do I thrive Mm -hmm. where is an organization going to benefit from what I have to offer Mm -hmm. so what's the fit there Mm -hmm. Um, I would say you know women um are enculturated to, uh, to have to use power sometimes in um, backhanded ways mm-hmm. or ways that are outside of the obvious realms of authority. So the story of Miriam, mm-hmm. uh, which of course we all are coached in the story of Moses and Moses being picked up out of the waters by the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, and that, and then, therefore, Israel gets a savior, and they're off they go. But Moses would never have gotten in the water if it weren't for Miriam and her mother and the midwives and the the incredible story of women leaders mm-hmm. that um, that actually helped this baby be born, help the baby be nursed, help the baby grow up, and on both sides of what should be enemy lines, right? So in a context of slavery, the daughter of Pharaoh adopts this child as her own. Miriam is the one who facilitates this baby getting in front of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, the, um, uh, what's the word I want? The um, subversion in the text is just fascinating to watch. And um, of both the midwives of Pharaoh's daughter, I mean, she's really rejecting her father's values Uh, Miriam who's like this is my partner she's my enemy and she's my partner in helping my brother live you know it's just an incredible to me um, relational courage which is language we're using here right now it's just the capacity to go this is about a bigger thing Uh, she was probably you know maybe she was 10 12 she was a child you know and Pharaoh's daughter, too. It's really quite incredible to look at that story and the the community of women and of girls at work together in the story of salvation is just profound. Mm. So, and I, I like to think of that as I, you know, beautiful authority in some ways is subversive, right? Nobody's paying really much attention. Uh, we had everything donated in the beginning, you know, um, and... Uh, and then we drew in other other means of support and money, and um, that's all we've always had exactly what we've needed. But um, the general convention doesn't know what goes on in those rooms. You know, <laughs> their people's bishops don't know what goes on in those rooms, and uh, and the spirit is working and is lovingly um, subversive to the status quo.
0: Mm. Beautiful, powerful. <laughs> Um, And so sort of linking into the subversive, um, communal, sort of generative nature of these women gathering together, um, as your curator for Emerging Communities, I think about the institutional church as the wider body, and I think about how emerging communities, um, missional communities Are places of those gatherings as well and so shifting from beautiful authority and Miriam and sort of female identified groups into maybe a larger conversation Um, you know you you wrote this book with with Michael Piram who is a a bishop of Gloucester who has since passed on Mm -hmm. um, hospitality of God and Emerging Worship for a Missional Church. And you guys really sort of looked at what does it mean for these smaller gatherings of of doing church um, amid a larger tradition and institutional identity, which kind of sounds Miriam-esque, right? Is sort of how do we gather in a subversive way that's that's life-giving, but also honoring of, of sort of the grander narrative. And so I'm wondering from your Position as as bishop, and and me as your curator, um, sort of what you see as the mutual invitation between the larger narrative of institutional church, and then these smaller, um, some could say threatening communities that are starting to to pop up. Um, so yeah, what do you what do you think about all that? <laughs> yeah.
1: um, I think yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think uh, that it takes all the pieces. So uh, one, of the, one of the realities of institutional church is that um, if we rely too much on the institution, it makes us lazy Christians, right? Because Christians, it's, it's good to have, we have a kingdom perspective, but then there's the mustard seed, you know? So there's the big picture, and then there's this little local picture, and um, one can't be without the other. Um, And we are in a season of pruning of the institution. So, and pruning is, um, it's an art form. We live in a wine country here, and uh, pruning is an absolutely uh, critical task in the production of food and wine. Um, Pruners think two years out, so they're thinking always in a much bigger harvest, even as they in this moment, you know, and I think it's important for us as the institutional church to uh, be humbled to that pruning. Nobody, nobody likes it in, when they're being the one cut, um, or their thing that they love is being cut. But we must remember that more fruit is coming. That's the intent of pruning, and it will happen. We trust that mm-hmm. um, in our Christian life, um, the needs of Younger generations are not what the needs have been of previous generations, and that is sometimes painful for people to accept. Um, Possibly they need to forgive younger generations for not needing what they needed. Mm -hmm. And the youngers need to forgive the elders for, for... Making happen what they made happen because they needed it, you know uh, and in the sense they should be inspired by that to say, well, we need to create we need to create um, spiritual networks and systems that nurture us and the communities and the world we envision, you know, uh, which is going to be different. I mean, a care for the creation, for example, is much more sensitive for younger people than it is for um, people who are on their way out, you know. Uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative way, but the you know let's let's make plastic because it makes sense. Not really understanding the implications of that or choosing to consider those implications is, is not going to happen in the younger generation. They just they get what's at stake in a way you know that's just different an insight that's different. So again, letting smaller groups form, which um, are more network oriented. Um, They are harder to build. They are harder to track. Um, They will probably die faster and be reborn faster. And getting a sense of that rhythm is hard for the institution, and to trust that rhythm is hard for the institution. Um, But I think it's the spiritual discipline of the institution right now is to learn how to, um, to look for signs of things being born and things of dying Um, that are of a different genus you know it's a different plant um, than the one we've been planting before so we've Mm -hmm. got to learn some things about it you know how does it work how do we gather Mm -hmm. Um, ask some some different questions sort of look at the strength of the of those women I was talking about that um, that um, helped me know my own insecurity didn't necessarily intimidate me but made me more curious right so for us as a church, if we're looking at things that we can see spiritual strength happening in ways that are different um, than, they, than what we have known before, to say, what, what, what do I need to be learning from that? Mm-hmm. Not, an in, not that I'm intimidated because I don't know how to do it, but how do I increase my curiosity and wonder at what God is doing mm-hmm. in, in that place? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that gets to the point, but Mm -hmm. um, you
0: can pick it up from there.
1: (laughs) You are listening to Theosophia, a platform for women's voices in theology, curated by Sarah Elizabeth Smith and Kelsey Davis. Join us next week for round two of Kelsey's conversation with Bishop Mary Gray Reeves, And as always, you can find Theosophia on all the social media sites. And be sure to stop by our Patreon page and consider supporting this Labor of Love podcast. See y'all next Tuesday.
0: Peace.